Mark chapter 10, the very last section. Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus, probably says that in your Bible. Start in verse 46, we'll read down to verse 52. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 46. <clears throat> they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be silent. He cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Jesus stopped and said, call him. They called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up. He came to Jesus. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him along the way. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray that you would do today what you did for blind Bartimaeus. Pray that you would open eyes that have been blinded, blinded by lust, blinded by greed, blinded by worldliness, blinded by bitterness, blinded by pain, blinded by addiction, blinded by hatred, blinded. God, would you do what you did for Bartimaeus here this morning? We believe in the power of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Most of us sitting in here are familiar in some way or other with the parable of the Good Samaritan. You don't even have to be a churchgoer or a Christian to have heard of a Good Samaritan. There are Good Samaritan laws. Good Samaritan. What does it actually mean? Where do we get that phrase, Good Samaritan? Jesus tells us a story. Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a story of a Good Samaritan. It is a made-up story given to us to prove a point. It goes like this. There was a man coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's traveling on the Jericho Road. He is beset by robbers. They beat him senselessly. They take all of his money and leave him on the side of the road. He lays there in a ditch and there's a priest walking by. He's going up the Jericho Road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And the priest, as he approaches, he sees there's something over in the ditch. Instead of going over there and seeing if that person is okay, the priest goes around. Jesus says, that's what a priest does going up to Jerusalem. He says, secondly, there's a Levite. Levite is one who is a practitioner of the Old Testament law. Levite's coming up the road and he too approaches the person that's been beaten and robbed and walks by them, gets on the other side of the road and does nothing to help the person. Jesus, th those are not good neighbors. 
Then Jesus says, there is one who comes up the road. He is a Samaritan. He's a mixed breed. Hated by the Jews. This Samaritan is walking up the road and he looks over and sees this man who's been beaten so severely and robbed. And he goes over to that man and he tends to his wounds. He takes him to a place where he can be cared for and in. He pays for all of his bills. And Jesus says, that man, the Samaritan, he is the good neighbor. That parable that Jesus taught is set on the Jericho Road. It's the very road that Jesus is not coming down from Jerusalem. Jesus is traveling up to Jerusalem. And it is there on the Jericho Road that Jesus will meet a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And the kindness of Jesus and the, the healing of the blind man. This beautiful encounter becomes a living parable to the wretched condition that we are in and the saving power of God found in Jesus. It's appropriate today that we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. Jesus will go to Jerusalem. There he will be crucified and die in our place. God will raise him from the dead. There will be the gospel. He's going to Jerusalem. It's good that we are celebrating the Lord's Supper. But here in this passage, before we get to Jerusalem in chapter 7, there's a healing that happens, a healing story that shows us the living picture of God's saving work in Jesus. And it shows us that when, when Christ changes you, in fact, this will be the theme of the sermon, when Christ changes you, you follow him. You've been changed by Jesus, you follow him. The logic works backwards as well. If you are not following him, you are not changed by Jesus. Let's go back to the story and go through it fairly quickly. Let's walk through the story as it stands. And then let me tell you up front what I want to do. I want you to see the reality of the story, walk through it, point out a couple of things then I want to come back and use this story as a picture of what true conversion and discipleship is. Go back with me to verse 46. They came to Jericho, not the ancient Jericho where the walls came tumbling down, not the Jericho of Joshua. This is a different Jericho. That Jericho is in ancient ruins by the time of Jesus. This is a new city named Jericho. It's about 17, 18 miles from Jerusalem. It's a winding road that will take you up to Jerusalem. Jesus is going there. Chapter 11, he'll get there. We're just a few days away from him being in Jerusalem. As they travel on this winding road, there's a lot of people with him. His disciples are there. The crowd is gathered around. And on the side of the road, something that would not be uncommon is a blind beggar. The text says that he hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth. He must have heard something about this man that he can heal. So he starts crying out. Verse 47, starts crying out, Jesus, son of David. How did he get this theology? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Crying out for Jesus to do something. It's important we see that, that this man is crying out. What's even uh, shocking to me is in verse 48, the crowd who's going with Jesus, his disciples, the religious people that are going up to Jerusalem, 
they start telling him, you be quiet. Not, not the baby. But that was terrible timing, wasn't it? <laughs> That's just what I need for that clip to go around on YouTube. Mercy. I, I, I'm talking about blind Bartimaeus. So y'all come back to the Bible. Y'all stop that now. We'll go back to the Bible. So blind Bartimaeus is on the side of the road. He is crying out to Jesus. And the people in the Bible are saying this. Let me show it to you. Verse 48, many were rebuking him and telling him to be silent. Why are those people being so mean to this blind man? They're calling him, stop hollering out to Jesus. Verse 49, not Jesus. Jesus does what we don't do. Jesus stops, verse 49, and calls the blind man to himself. The blind man does something dangerous. He leaves his cloak in verse 50, jumps up. If you're blind, you probably ought not to be jumping up so quick and running so fast. Takes off running toward Jesus in verse 50. Sprang up, ran to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, let me pause here and say, God knows what we need before we ask him. God knows what you need before you ask him, and yet he, he, still, he still has us ask. Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, or if, if you look in the Bible, it should say Rabboni. It's, it's translated Master. Master, I want to regain my son. I only have one thing I want. I want to be able to see. Verse 52, the, the healing happens so fast. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. He didn't go his way. He followed Jesus along the road. Let's pull back, make some application. What are the marks of conversion and discipleship? Let's start slowly with the biggest one. Number one, you need to get a handle. Number one, if you're going to get saved, consider yourself saved. Number one, get a true handle on your need for Jesus. Need for Jesus. So we find him in verse 46. We're introduced to this man. We're told several things about him. He is blind. He is a beggar. And his name is Bartimaeus. He's blind. Can't see. He depended on other people to get him somewhere. He can't distinguish color. He probably can't even see black and white. Easy for him to get lost. He's desperate and aimless. Unsafe and vulnerable. All the conditions that we are without Christ. He can't distinguish what is right and what is wrong. You know the song, we're going to sing it at the end of church today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was what? I was blind. It's just me and you here. Blind. Beggar. Bartimaeus. Not just blind, he was a beggar. Destitute, filthy. You don't have to ride very long on Harris Boulevard or the intersection where the interstate is, and there you'll see someone standing with a sign. Even in 2024, somebody that it probably is filthy hadn't had a bath begging. Think about this day and time. There is 
This person who is blind, he's begging, he's destitute, he's unwanted. He would feel as if he's unloved by God. If he has any family, they're nowhere to be found. They're embarrassed by him. He's not producing, he's not contributing to society. He's not in any way useful to anyone. Lifeless, hopeless, joyless, blind beggar. He's a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. That's important for us. Bartimaeus, of all the people, <clears throat> if you read the, read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus healing, Jesus casting out demons, Jesus doing all of these miracles, putting people back together with health. He does it a myriad of times, and only one time do we ever get anybody's name. It's right here. In fact, the way it's written in verse 46, you have a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, and then it says, son of Timaeus. Well, that's redundant because Bartimaeus means the son of Timaeus. Here is Mark writing for the church at Rome. People that speak Greek and read Greek wouldn't understand Aramaic, so he's explaining that. So I started thinking, and why did he give his name? It's the first time we ever see it. Only time we ever see it. It's the last healing miracle. Most people would agree that because this person followed Jesus along the road, watched Jesus crucified, this is speculation, saw him crucified, buried, raised from the dead, very early on, he became part of the church, and Mark is telling us about this person. That's important for me and you. Because all of us, Blind beggars. All of us can be Bartimaeus, part of the church. What did Paul write to the church at Corinth, that terrible church where so many foul things had gone on? People were such pagans, they got saved. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9, 10, and 11, listen to what Paul says. Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolatrous, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. The first mark, the first step is for you and I to get a hold. Get a handle on your need for Jesus. Do you sense and see and feel your need for Jesus? While that rolls around, let's go to the second one, number two. Once you get, your, get a handle on your need for Jesus, number two, we need to confess Confess your need to Jesus. There's a whole lot in verse 47. There are many things you can pick up on. We're going to just focus on one word. Let me show it to you in verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It would be good for us to focus on Mark saying something about it being Jesus of Nazareth, the full humanity of Jesus. He would come and live as a perfect man, keep all the law for us. I would love to talk about that. I'd like to turn my attention over to the blind man calling Son of David. How did he get that theology? How did he know the messianic title of Jesus? It's only used one other time in Mark, and that's Jesus using it. How did he know that? 
But what I really want to call your attention to is his call, asking for mercy. When you ask for mercy, it's an acknowledgement of complete helplessness. It's, an, it's actually an acknowledgement of suffering. It's an acknowledgement of need. It's an acknowledgement that God has the power to help. You know, when you put mercy and grace together, there are words we throw, along, throw around, but mercy and grace are really two sides of one coin. That is the love of God. The, the steadfast love of God is shown to us in mercy and grace. Grace of, course, is, grace, of course, is us getting what we do not deserve. It's the kindness, it's the goodness of God pouring out to us when we didn't do anything to get it. He's just good to us. Mercy has a different feel. Mercy is God not giving us the punishment we actually do deserve. Mercy is God seeing us in our sinful condition, knowing that that sin has so separated us from him that what we deserve is to go to hell, be, be tortured and punished. And yet God in mercy says, I'm not doing that. He gives us Jesus who lives perfectly. And at the cross, Jesus takes what we deserve. And what does God give us? It's mercy. But mercy is a, is a soul crying out for God to help. Mercy is hoping for some sort of relief. Mercy. Jesus walks by and the, a man named Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus, have mercy. Have you called out? Have you called out to our good God to be merciful to you, a sinner? Have you embraced the mercy of God? See our need, make a call, call out mercy. I'll give you a third thing, number three. Number three, expect Expect discouragement and fight through it. Expect discouragement. Fight. If, if God does something in your life, your eyes are open to see, you call out. You're going to give your life to Jesus. Don't expect everybody to celebrate. Don't even expect church people. Don't expect that everything's going to get easy now. What you've done now, you've become a target. For Satan, you've become a target for people that hate God. Look at the crowd. What are they doing there? They're religious people. They're going up to Jerusalem for the Passover, and this blind man, Bartimaeus, he's crying out for mercy. All he wants is a little mercy. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. When you see your need for Christ and you say it, don't expect, especially if you to come up to the church, don't expect all your friends to celebrate the fact that you are being changed by God. Don't expect your family to celebrate. It's going to make them feel awkward. Don't expect your, your friends at work to share that kind of enthusiasm. Look, don't get your feelings hurt when church people, church people, that's who's going up to the Passover, church people. Sometimes church people can be discouraging, can be hurtful, hard-hearted. You can go to church with somebody all your life and be deceptive. You wonder, what happened here? If that happened, let me just pause here and say, if that happens in your life, if you've had that kind of experience, 
in your life. You do what Bartimaeus has done right here. People are discouraging him. It's religious people just telling him to be quiet. What does Bartimaeus do? Verse 48 says, Bartimaeus cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Look, do not let the people around Jesus keep you from getting to Jesus. Don't let, don't let the church people, because it'll happen. Like I, I know that being hurt at a church is a very real thing. Church, it's a real thing. Get, get just discouraged, disillusioned. Don't let that keep you from being with Jesus and his church. That won't be, it, won't be, it won't be reason enough. It won't be reason enough if somebody has hurt you in the church when you just quit altogether. I don't want any part of that. The day of judgment, you say, look, they were terrible to me. That will not stand. You keep pressing to Jesus. Don't let unfriendly Christians or Facebook Christians saying dumb things keep you from the Lord. You keep pressing on to Jesus. So we see our need. So first thing, we cry out for mercy. Number three, Press through. Let me give you a fourth thing. Number four. Take hold of hope. Take hold of hope. Take hold of it, hope. Let me show you where I get that. It's right there in verse 49. People are discouraging him. Verse 48. Verse 49, he doesn't stop. Verse 49, let me show it to you. It's one thing when we call to Jesus and we're on the road. It's something else altogether when he calls to us. Verse 49. <clears throat> and Jesus stopped and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. It's, it's one thing when we call on the Lord and you should do that, calling out for mercy. It's something else altogether when he calls us. Look, that's where our hope lies. Not in us calling to God. The hope is in him calling us. Bartimaeus could have sat there on that road all day long, crying out for mercy, crying out for mercy. It wasn't until Jesus stopped and called him. That's when the action picks up. It's the power of God's call, verse 49. The value is not on Bartimaeus and his call for mercy, as important as it is. And it is important that we do that. That is not where all the value is. The value is in Jesus calling him. And whenever the gospel is preached, that is God calling you. How do you know God is calling to your heart right now? It's because you can hear the gospel that says God is holy. You are a sinner separated from God under condemnation. But he doesn't leave you there. In goodness, he's given us Jesus who lived perfectly because you can't. Dies on the cross to take away the wrath and judgment of God. God raises him from the dead as a sign of victory. And the promise is if you trust that, if you believe that, that you will be saved. Take hold of that hope. I mean, President, not just take hold, let me give you a fifth thing to consider. And that is to respond to the call of God, to respond to his call. Do you see it in verse 50? Let me show it to you. Verse 50, <clears throat> read it. And throwing off his cloak, 
And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Throwing off his cloak, sprang up, came to Jesus. Let's, let's deal with the throwing off his cloak. What is that cloak for? That cloak was there for him to sit on on the desert road. He would collect alms on the cloak. People would just contribute there maybe. He would hope they would. He'd call out to them. When the sun would go down at night, it gets cold in the desert, he could wrap up with that cloak. It's the only thing he has. And he threw it to the ground, sprang up, and ran to Jesus. That's not something you actually do if you are a blind person. It's a reckless response. Look, this is what happens when the soul becomes suddenly responsive to the call of Jesus. There is this joyous extravagance. There is this, this joyous ex extravagance. God calls to Simon and Andrew the get up and leave their nets. God calls to James and John, leave their lucrative business. God calls to Levi, he leaves his tax collecting. God calls you, you leave it. What, what is it that's, that's keeping you from taking hold of the call of God on your life? What's keeping you from the good grace of God who loves you? From the grace of God that awaits you? Respond like Bartimaeus to the call. Three more things and we'll take the Lord's Supper. How do you respond? I'm going to give you three ways. Here's the first one. We pray. This is point number six. We pray. Look at the prayer in verse 51. It's very simple. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. You see the question that Jesus asked him in verse 51? It's a familiar question. Andy Davis says that, that uh, we, we Christians underestimate what Jesus could do for you. He wants us to articulate our need to him. It's interesting, this is the same question that Jesus asked James and John, remember that? Back in the last passage, James and John came to Jesus and said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? We want to be co-rulers. They wanted power. All this man wants is to see. What do you want, believer? What do you want him to do for you? Look, this passage right here has... This has been such a help to me this week in my own prayer time, my own time with the Lord to hear Jesus say, what do you want me to do for you? Someone asks you, how can I pray for you? If you, you need to be able to come up with several things, pray these things for me because that says you believe that God actually might do this. Or if you're not a believer here today, let me talk to you as a church goer. Un, let me just call you an unsure churchgoer. Why don't you ask him today to save you? Pray. Ask him to save you. That's the first step. Pray. That's how you respond. The second one is to believe. You see that in verse 52? It happened so quickly. We don't even see the miracle in verse 52. Jesus declares him healed, and he said, it is your faith. You see it in verse 52? Your faith has saved you. When you become a Christian... Christ does it so quickly, and he does it through faith. What are you believing? You believe that God is holy. I am a sinner separated from God, deserving punishment. Jesus Christ is the perfect one who lived in my place, 
died taking the wrath of God. They put him in a tomb. God raised him from the dead. There's victory in Jesus, and I believe that. What do you have to believe to become a Christian? That right there. The gospel. That's how you sa you're saved. You turn from your sin, and you turn to Jesus. Do you believe? So the response is pray, believe, and the third one. I'll end here. That is to follow. To follow. Do you see it in verse 52? So this man has received his sight in verse 52, and when he did, we can just guess that that the first thing his eyes see are Jesus. He saw Jesus and wanted nothing more than to follow him. Isn't that what the text says? Verse 52, Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him along the way. It's right there. This, this is the response of everybody who's given eyes to see and ears to hear the gospel. The gospel is wrapped up in this story. When Christ changes you, you follow him. Has he changed you? Are you following? With that in mind, let's Turn our thoughts to the Lord's Supper. Would you join me now just for a moment of prayer? Get ready to thank God and remember what Christ has done. Father, I thank you that Jesus lived perfectly and died on the cross in my place. Thank you for that. Pray that the love of God would be felt today. I pray that your people would feel especially loved by you today as we think on what Christ has done for us. So be present to apply this to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll tell you how we take the Lord's Supper here at Hickory Grove. A lot of you, when you came in, hopefully you, you received the elements. When you came in, the Lord's Supper is considered a family meal for brothers and sisters in Christ. When you give your life to Christ and you follow through with baptism, we saw baptism today. It's a picture of coming in the front door of the church. That's baptism. You come into the church, the body of Christ, through baptism. Baptism is a symbol. There's another symbol that says you are part of the body of Christ. That is the meal, the family meal called the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper instituted by Jesus the night that he was betrayed. I'll, I'll use that language. And it is a reminder for every person that is a Christian. Jesus died for you, shed his blood for you. Remember that and feel loved by God. Now, there's some of you here that you've never given your life to Christ and followed through with baptism. Then this is a, a tangible reminder. We don't have many things like this in the church. Almost everything is open to everybody. This is one of those things that's reserved only for those who have put their faith in Jesus and followed through with baptism. That means that children that have even come up in the church their whole life here, been, there, been at church their whole life, it means still if they've never given your life to Christ, put your faith in Jesus and followed through in baptism, then you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. 
on the ride home, maybe mom and dad with young child gives you a chance to share the gospel and explain what it means to be in Christ and what it is to be outside of Christ. So if you are a member of the body of Christ, we invite you to take the Lord's Supper. I'm going to invite you, if you would, open up the elements. You have them there. Peel off the top where the wafer is and maybe pull it out and turn it over and just gently pull off the lid where the juice is. Take it off. I'm going to quote the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There in the church at Corinth, Paul is teaching the church what it means to be in Christ or outside of Christ. Paul says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul goes on to say, in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant which is given in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul will go on to say that as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are saying this is the gospel and through the gospel, you can be saved. Now this morning, we're going to sing another song. It's our invitation song. If you found yourself not being able to take the Lord's Supper, that you, you sense that you are actually outside, we want you in. We want you to know the joy of knowing Christ. We want you to put your faith in the living Lord Jesus, to have the love of God. And if you'd like to talk about that, when we sing this song, it's a time of invitation. We'll invite you to come forward. Our pastors will be down here, talk to you, we can pray with you, and start the journey with the Lord Jesus. If you're not comfortable with that, after church, our pastors will be in the lobby, glad to talk to you about what it means for you to put your faith in Jesus, to, to have the love of God found in Jesus. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would be close. I pray that by your spirit you will call people. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Thank you for the power that saves. Father, I pray that you would take the blindness away, bring the sight to see the goodness of God in Jesus. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?